I'm recording too. Should we clap? Yeah, I guess I should set my mic down for that. Okay. One, two, one, two, three. <laughs> no! <It's, laughs> we suck. It sounded the same to me. All right. He'll find it. He'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rules your lips. Take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be there. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Welcome to the podcast. That was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> that's Deanna. I'm Hannah. Yep, that's Hannah over there. And uh, we talk about ladies every week. We do. Well, yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, ladies, mm-hmm. feminine inclined folks, and uh, the things that they've done, good and bad, throughout history. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the things that have been done to them, you know, like... As it often is the case, because women you know. have a lot to endure, historically speaking. <sighs> yes. Yes, they do. I don't think that was that awkward, right? No, I don't think that's that awkward. We're, we're doing... It's a different situation for the first time in uh, this podcast history. We are recording in two separate geographic locations. So I'm Which looking at Hannah like, through yeah. FaceTime right now. <laughs> it's like... It's strange. It's... It is strange. I mean, I'm sure that this one will sound like a little bit different than some of yeah, the hope- others Yeah, hopefully the audio is not too messed up. Because <clears throat> Ben is gone, and so you and I are Sisters are like, doing it for themselves. Thanks, whew. Annie Lennox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, we don't need no men. Right? Right. Right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in Colorado. You're there just kind of like taking some r&r much needed basically. time off it's the vacation yeah. my aforementioned vacation that i was looking forward to and mm-hmm. it's been so good so far i've uh, met my mom's new kitten who oh, is she's so cute she's so cute and she's so annoying in the mornings um in a in a cute way but when you're trying to sleep and you have a cat she's so tiny and purrs so loudly and so she'll just climb up on top of me and just be like <gasps> And I'm like, cat, get <laughs> off me. Oh, but I love it so much. I mean, it's so annoying, but I love it. Also, maybe maybe we'll have to cut this, but did you see Avengers? I did. You did? Did you see it yet? Yeah, we saw it. Well, Ben saw it last week. Yeah, I was going to say Ben saw it before either of us did. Ben saw it on like press screening night because he's a lucky bitch. <laughs> and I saw it at 6.30 a.m., on Sunday, because that was the only screening still that had open seats left. That's insane. At Alamo. Oh my god. So dumb. I mean, honestly, it was it was fun. It Did was they have like, breakfast? They had breakfast oh. and so much coffee. I drink so much coffee. It was so good, though, right? Ugh, the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. I have like problems with some of the things in it. But for the most part, I feel like it was very cathartic, like a yeah. cathartic way to end, you know, what is it, 12 years or something? I think it's of uh, 11 years and 22 years. Mil- movies, movies, movies. Oh, it's so weird. I know. It's so weird. We'll have to talk about it. Right. Like more in depth, but. 
It's so fascinating, though, and, and I'm not going to go into any spoilers or whatever, but, like, um, it, I sat next to a, a group of, um, a huge group of, like, 10-year-old boys. Oh. And um, there was, like, one point where I heard one of them say something. They were like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 the green girl. And I was, and I wanted to be like, "Are you kidding me right now? She has a name, and it's Gamora, okay? The Green Girl. You know that. You know Steve Rogers is Captain America. I promise you, you know his freaking name. And of it was, they do. and it was clear. I know it's not a surprise, so this isn't a spoiler that that Captain Marvel shows up in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it was obvious they had no, they they didn't see the movie because they had no response to anything regarding her. Oh my god! And I was like, <laughs> why? Yeah. Why would anyone go see the the final movie in something that has been building for 11 years mm. without seeing the movies that come before it? I don't know. Well, I mean, That's I hadn't until the day before, until, well, Thursday. We saw it on Saturday, um, but it was until Thursday that I had seen all of the movies. What did you have to see? Well, we did a, a list um, going through every single one of them. And it was, uh, let me think, um, I hadn't seen Iron Man 3, so we started with that one, which is a oh, weird one, wow. a weird one to not have seen, because um, yeah. I love the Iron Man series. Um, I hadn't seen Captain America. Yeah. I hadn't seen um, Winter Soldier. Any? I, I hadn't seen Civil War. Um, I hadn't, oh my God, <laughs> I wish you could all see my face right now. <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't seen Age of Ultron, which, so I finally saw that. And then I hadn't seen Doctor Strange. So, but oh my lord! But we watched all of them before I went to see Endgame. So, holy shit! And I'm really glad that I did because there was a lot to know that was important. I think it's interesting, like the the people who saw the movie without knowing the movies. So I'm glad that you remedied that before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. (laughs) Oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Um, so uh, we, it's it May 1st now and may is asian american pacific heritage month again so i I thought it might be appropriate because in november we talked about jeanette rankin who is the first woman elected to congress and uh today i want to tell you about patsy mink who was the first woman of color elected to congress and she was an asian american woman hell yes she not only Asian-American, she was Hawaiian? Yes. Which is also separately part of that, you know, umbrella, that heritage umbrella for... Yeah, Pacific Islanders. 
Mm -hmm. Um, Although she was Japanese American, which is even more significant, but we'll go into that. Oh my God. Okay, so my sources this week are denshow.org, which I was browsing their webs, their the entire sort of organizational website, and it's really cool because it's all dedicated to preserving the memory of the atrocities of the Japanese internment um, during oh. World War II. So okay. um, they had a really great article about her. I cribbed a lot from that. Nina Wallace wrote that, so I wanted to make sure I credited her. Uh, the cool. 74million.org, uh, womenon20s.org, aprilmag.com, and Wikipedia, our good old friend. So, here we go. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Patsy Takamoto Mink was born in Maui on December 6th, 1927 to Nisei, which means second generation American, parents. Uh, oh. uh, her dad's name was Suamatsu. He was a civil engineer. And her mother's name was Mitama, and she was a stay-at-home homemaker. Um, her dad graduated from University of Hawaii in 1922. He was the first Japanese American to graduate from University of Hawaii. Oh, damn. Which like I a thought family was cool. of firsts. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, so, yeah, he was second generation. Um, and then for several years, her father was the only Japanese American civil engineer working in Maui. Uh, naturally, he was passed over for promotion several times during his career. Uh, positions what? instead being offered to white dudes. Um he, Shocker. Which, you know, uh, the time, he, World War II, not a fun time to be Japanese. Um, no, especially in Hawaii. Especially in Hawaii. Um, so he resigned, even though he was American born. He wasn't, yeah. you know. Um, but so he, he resigned his position in 1945 after World War II um, and moved to Honolulu with his family. He uh, established his own land surveying company there in Honolulu. So for Patsy, as for many Japanese Americans growing up in Hawaii at that time, um, she was raised on a sugar plantation. And uh, but but she was uh, Sansei, which is third generation. So she was a Sansei daughter of a land surveyor and was allotted a private college uh, cottage, a company car, two acres of land, which meant that her experiences were very different from her mostly Nisei, second generation peers who were in overcrowded and heavily segregated plantation camps. Whoa. And so those were differences she began to see clearly once she started attending school. Like she recognized that yeah. she was more privileged than other Japanese Americans her age. Yeah, that's a very stark difference mm-hmm. in living. Plantation situation. camps? That sounds awful. That's insane. I've never heard of that. I mean, I guess I, why would I have heard of that? But still yeah Yeah. that's crazy um as a young girl apparently she would accompany her father to local election rallies which um sparked an early interest in politics so Uh um patsy was a sophomore in high school in maui when um the japanese attack on pearl harbor happened um there were over a thousand buddhist priests japanese language school instructors newspaper editors and other community leaders that were arrested throughout the islands uh, and imprisoned, but the Japanese population in Hawaii, interestingly, was ultimately spared like all the atrocities of the mass incarceration enacted on the mainland. Because at the time, Amer- uh, Hawaii wasn't a state yet; it was just a territory. Oh God, that's right. Mm-hmm. It was like kind of like Puerto Rico. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Um. Wow. So, but yeah. So, I mean, they're kind of lucky, but they they still there were a lot of arrests of Japanese Americans. Her father was arrested at one point, um, but was released because there's no reason for him to have been arrested other than the fact that he was Japanese American. 
Um, so one month after um, Pearl Harbor happened, she decided she was going to run for student body president. Uh, well, it says oh, that, wow. But it says in this it was her senior year and that it was she was a sophomore when it happened. I don't know what the where the time where the miscommunication happened. Anyway, not long after Pearl Harbor, whether it be okay. a year or two or a month or two, she ran I mean, for two years is like still not enough time for right. the local population to be like, yeah, I mean, it's cool now. It's still before World War Two was over. Yeah, either way. Yeah. Um, so she ran for student body president. Um, she was successful. Oh, so she became student body president. And graduated in 1944 as both the president of her student body and class valedictorian. Oh, damn. So. God. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Um, after high school, she enrolled at the University of Hawaii as a pre-med student because uh, she decided at the age of four that she wanted to be a doctor. Um, yeah. <laughs> Which is, I love it. Um, she wound up transferring to the mainland, being the U.S., um, mm-hmm. at the end of her sophomore year of college. First, she went to Wilson College in Pennsylvania for a really short time, and then she transferred to the University of Nebraska. I'm, I don't know okay. exactly what sparked her transfers, maybe better programs, I don't know. Um, but at Nebraska, she was assigned to live in the International House, which was a separate dormitory that was for foreign students as well as American students of color because uh, oh. dorms were segregated. So students of color were barred from the school's dormitories, fraternities, and sororities. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. What? Even the American ones. Um, she, I know. She was obviously outraged at the blatant discrimination. So because she was really pissed off about this, obviously, she started giving speeches and writing letters to protest the university's discriminatory housing policies. And she mobilized other students, as well as parents, administrators, employees, alumni, sponsoring businesses, and corporations to participate in her protests as well. Interesting. And she was still pre-med at the time, right? She was still like... Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was soon elected president of the unaffiliated students of the University of Nebraska, which was um, a separate branch of student government for the international students, aka non-white. So... The white students got to have their own student government, and the non-white students had their unaffiliated, unassociated program. That's insane. But she became president of that, because that was the only one she could <laughs> become part of. Um, so yeah. Oh, my God. Then the, the non-white students were excluded, obviously, from the dorms and the Greek system and the student government. Did they have their own like sororities or anything? Do you know? Maybe, Maybe. but I don't think she was in them. Um, thanks to her tireless work in the, that version of gov- student government, um, the Board of Regents ended the university's policy of segregation that same year uh-huh. that she came to the school. She was immediately like, let's get shit done now. Good. Yeah. Good. Yep. So um, she like started to thrive at the University of Nebraska and she like had a successful fight against segregation at the school. But then she was like stricken with a serious thyroid condition that she needed surgery for. So she went back to Honolulu to get the surgery and to heal. And so she finished her final year of college at the University of Hawaii. Um, Okay. She got her two bachelor's degrees um, in zoology and chemistry and then applied to medical school because... As a reminder, yeah. that was her goal, to be a doctor. Yeah. Um, 
She was a third-generation Japanese-Hawaiian first female president of the student body at Maui High School and valedictorian of her graduating class in 1944 and should have been a shoe-in to medical school. Um, but she was denied admission by all 20 of the medical schools that she applied to because she was a woman. Oh, my God. That just, like, that tickled my gag reflex. That's so awful. Uh, medical schools at this time had an abysmal 2 to 3% acceptance rate for women. They really didn't want women going to med school. So even if you were top of your class, like you still probably couldn't get in. Sometimes I wish that this was not a podcast, but like a video series, because so much of my reaction is just <laughs> like, I just feel it more than say yeah. it. Mm -hmm. And it's so, that's It's like so, a very guttural, so, like. Yes. Uh, it's yeah. so shitty. That's so shitty. But don't worry, because. This was this became Patsy Mink's like lot in life. I was gonna say you wouldn't be talking about her <laughs> unless so. There was, obviously, yeah. she was super disappointed <laughs> in the fact that yeah. she was denied entrance to medical school, even Ugh. though she did incredible things in high school, in college, and overcame an illness, <laughs> like all this. Um, so she then decided the best way to get medical schools to accept women would be through the judicial system, and so instead she decided to go to law school. In oh, that wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Okay. So she wanted to go through the law and change the law. And hopefully she got into law school. She did. In the way. Okay. She did. She applied to the University of Chicago Law School because, weirdly, the University of Chicago had admitted women since its inception in 1902. Thank you, University of Chicago. So she, she went to law school with several other women. I don't know what number Great. that is, but there were other women there with her. And she earned her Juris Doctor, yeah. which is a Doctor of Law degree, in 1951. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Perhaps those old white doctors who tried to keep their schools from women, and especially women of color, did this woman a favor in spite of their worst intentions. Because after all, they <laughs> launched this young woman's law career. Um, while she was in Chicago, she met geology student John Francis Mink at a bridge game in the International House. Obviously, they fell in love. They got married. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, Good old bridge. That sexy bridge. <laughs> yeah. Um, a few months before they both graduated with their respective degrees, he was her lifelong partner and supporter. Um, seems like they had a pretty happy, harmonious Aww. union. Um, uh, after they both graduated, John immediately found a job. But Patsy's search, of course, was less fruitful. And she ended up back at her student job at the University of Chicago School uh, Law School Library. Jesus. Um, uh huh. Um, they decided to move back to Hawaii after uh, not long after their daughter Gwendolyn was born, um, which was in 1952, where again Patsy encountered steep obstacles in finding a job that matched her qualifications. While John instantaneously was hired. <laughs> Ridiculously, this made me Ugh. so mad. Um, she was ineligible to take the Hawaii bar exam, even though she was Hawaiian-born, because. The law gave her her husband's Pennsylvania residency. So because she was married to a man from Pennsylvania, what? she was a Pennsylvania resident, even though she really didn't live there ever. She, oh, my she, fucking God. She went to school there for a really short time, and, but never like had residency status there. But because her husband was a Pennsylvania resident and not a Hawaii resident yet, she couldn't take the bar exam. 
you uh. stop being a person, your own person, the minute you marry somebody. And now you're their person. Right. It was like in the U.S. how um, if you married, uh, if a man married a woman who was from a different country, they became United States citizens. But then women lost their yeah. U.S. citizenship when they, which I think is related to Je uh, Jeanette yeah. Rankin because I think she changed that. Oh. Right? Yeah, because I feel like we talked about that mm -hmm. very specific issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a similar thing, how, like, you just get what your husband has. Um, because and, and, he's your husband. Right. Done. So um, she, of course, she went to the uh, state attorney general, um, challenged the statute as sexist, and, and won. <laughs> what? Won. And so Whoa, she wait, got, what year was that, you said? Uh, I haven't said. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, it was 1952, 53, because she passed the bar okay. exam in Hawaii in 1953. Great. Um, and she established a solo practice to become the first Japanese-American woman to practice law in the territory of Hawaii. Damn. Even so, she was not well accepted within the legal prof profession. Um, it's the reason why she had to start a solo law firm, because law firms she applied to would reject her oh. application because either the fact that she was um, in an interracial marriage, her husband was white, oh um, because, she had a, oh. because she had a child, um, or because they believed a woman shouldn't be out late at night. Whoa, wait a minute. What? Yeah. So it was like either you're, oh, you're not married to a man of your own race or you have a baby so you can't give your full attention to your job or women shouldn't be out late at night and lawyers are always out late at night in seedy places and those aren't places for women, that kind of thing. Wow. So that's why. Wow. Because she was sick of being excluded, she oh started God. a solo practice, right? Yeah. Um, good, good thinking. She took on criminal cases, divorce cases, adoption cases, and other cases that more established and male led law firms would typically turn down. Ah, okay. But of course, even so, there were still very few clients willing to hire a young Asian American woman as their attorney. So she had a little bit of extra time on her hands. Now, what did she do with that extra time? <laughs> Something Let, amazing. Let's begin, probably. let's begin with a quote. Uh, quote, I didn't start off wanting to be in politics. She once told a reporter not being able to get a job from anybody changed things. So she, Damn. with her spare time, began to volunteer for the Democratic Party in Honolulu working to engage younger voters and to helping to usher in the, quote, revolution of 1954 uh, as chairman of the territory-wide Young Democrats Club. Um, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. In 1956, she decided to run for the Territorial House of Representatives because, um, like, I think they have their own oh. sort of uh, governmental system because they're not, they have their own House of Representatives, like, just as a territory. Um, and she bucked, Weird. she bucked Democratic Party leadership because they didn't believe, and tell me if this still sounds familiar, they didn't think, think a Japanese American woman was electable and advised her not to run. Ugh. That's a, Ugh. that's a big thing even today. The people still think women in general aren't electable. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at the way Elizabeth Warren and, uh, oh my God. Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. Look at how the two of them are treated by the media versus their male counterparts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Despite despite very similar policies or in at times the same policies. Or better policies. Or better policies and competence to rival any of them or mm. usurp any of them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's crazy. Quote, 
I had no visible support in the community, no organizational support, she said, but that didn't stop her. Patsy walked her full district, more than half the land area of Oahu, and went door to door to speak directly with voters. Her grassroots strategy paid off. Who does that sound like? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Grassroots. Um, And she became the first Japanese-American woman elected to the Hawaii legislature. Hell yes. She uh, achieved another first just two years later when she won a seat in the territorial Senate, once again without the support of the party's male leadership. Ah, so we don't need men no when hawaii became a u.s state in 1959 patsy filed Mm. early and unopposed for the house seat she almost (laughs) almost became the first japanese american of either gender elected to congress until daniel inouye gave in to party pressure to withdraw from his senate run and refile as a candidate for the house just a few days before the filing deadline so a man was encouraged not oh. to run for Senate, but for so he became her competition. Of course, since he was a man and he was a war hero, he won. So wow. So she didn't win. Oh. Um, so she went back to her law practice. But then a few years later, um, her time finally came. She ran a successful campaign for the Hawaii Senate in 1962, another one for the U.S. House Representatives two years later, blah, blah, blah. So she eventually became a uh, representative. Uh, on January 4th, 1965, the first women of, woman of color to be elected to Congress. Damn. And this was, what, six, year, six years after Hawaii became a state, mm-hmm. technically? So the first woman of color elected to Congress came from a, an area that was not even a state until six years before. Right. But it was also, it's That's- also a state that um, has like a really high um, population of people of color. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean. (laughs) Uh, So, yes, being the first woman of color elected to Congress theoretically could have been an achievement that was enough for someone. Um, In any uh, democracy, we see many parliamentarians more than happy to simply keep their laurels and their seats warm, but not Patsy Mink. She fought for women with ferocity and determination. It wasn't easy to be an Asian-American female politician. When Mink first arrived in Washington, she was heralded by the press. Here's our common thing. Oh. As diminutive and exotic. Um, Oh, my God. She and her other female colleagues were banned from house facilities like the gym or dismissed with comments about, quote, raging hormonal imbalances. She was accused of neglecting her child for her career. But as people soon learned, Patsy fought back. Quote, I think that's the most offensive question I've ever been asked, she said calmly after a reporter questioned how she balanced being a married congresswoman. I've never heard anyone ask a man, how has this been on your family? No one gives a shit when it's men. Nope. Um, Good for her. Yeah. So, hearkening back to her being rejected from medical school. Uh, During her time in Congress, she was a staunch advocate for education, the environment, open government, and equal opportunity for women and people of color. She is best remembered for authoring authoring the revolutionary Title IX Educational Amendment of 1972, which mandated that any institution receiving federal funding equally support men and women in academics and athletics, and then its follow-up, Women's Educational Equity Act in 1974, which allowed for things, little things, you know, like replacing school textbooks riddled with stereotypes that pushed men towards careers in medicine and engineering while encouraging women to remain in the home. Wow. So 
quick stat. Man, so it was basically just like, you wouldn't let me be a doctor, which is the thing that I have wanted to be in since I was four years old. So mm-hmm. here's my revenge. I'm going to make sure we have more women doctors. Basically. Mm-hmm. Damn. Um, after nearly 50 years since um, she authored those amendments, um, those laws have led, obviously, to dramatic progress. We now have 11.5 million women who attend college, compared with 8.9 million men. Um <laughs> Before Title IX, just 300,000 girls nationwide participated in high school sports every year. Now there are three, uh, three and a half million girls who participate in sports. Um, the fields of medicine and law that first excluded Patsy Mink are now almost equal in their enrollment of male and female students. She, I mean, she changed things in a fundamental way. Mm-hmm like completely fundamental Mm -hmm. i I can't i can't imagine now our educational system looking the way it did in her time right but i mean literally you can trace it back to her as to being one of the main reasons why it is the way it is today that's fucking incredible yeah Um, Some of her lesser-known accomplishments include introducing the country's first comprehensive early childhood education act Passed, passed by both houses of Congress, but vetoed by Nixon in 1971. Thanks, Nixon. Um, sponsoring legislation creating bilingual education, uh, student loans, special education for disabled students, and Head Start. Uh, she attempted to block funding for the Vietnam War, and she co-sponsored an ultimately unsuccessful bill to immediately cease military activity in Vietnam. Um, she brought the Supreme Court case against the EPA over its refusal to disclose sensitive information on nuclear testing in the Aleutian Islands. So the EPA was trying to hide stuff about nuclear testing. And she was like, no, thanks. We're not going to do that today. (laughs) I would Um, like to know what you're doing. And she helped to block the confirmation of uh, notorious racist and misogynist G. Harold Carswell to the Supreme Court in 1970. Um, paving the way for Justice Harry Blackman, who would write the majority opinion in Roe v. Wade three years later. My God, she really, uh, if she had not come around, I mean, really, if she hadn't been barred from medical school, yeah. could you imagine? There's, like, there's got to be like? an alternate universe <laughs> where she's just uh, a happy doctor, but, you know, dealing with, you know, general racial discrimination, leaving it to someone else. Um, but thank yeah. God we had her. Um, thank God. Also in 1970, she became the first Democratic woman to deliver a State of the Union response. Wow. Um, she even ran a brief presidential campaign from 1971 to 1972, becoming the first Asian American period, to seek the presidential nomination. It, so I it really didn't go anywhere at all. Yeah. But she was like the first. She wasn't nominated or she no, wasn't. She yeah. didn't She didn't make it very far. Um, but she was the first Asian Still. American at all to try and run for president. That's, that's fucking incredible. I can't even think of who in the wake of that, like who after ha- has done that since. Maybe there's, maybe I mean, there's a handful. I mean, I can't but. think of any like. And maybe this is just me being stupid, but I can't think of any prominent like Asian candidates. I mean, Kamala Harris is is black and Indian, so she mm-hmm. can't. But like East Asian, no idea. Right. Um, wow. But 
Uh, anyway, uh, here's a quote from her in 1974 in an interview. I liked it. Uh, so, <laughs> so long as any part of our society adheres to a sexist notion that men should do certain things and women should do certain things and then begin to inculcate our babies with these certain notions through curriculum development and so forth, we will never be rid of the basic causes of sex discrimination. I mean, that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true. Yep. Um, so she spent 12 years uh, serving as a representative in the House of Representatives and then uh, tried to run for Senate. Um, but she lost to Representative Spark Matsunaga, uh, hmm. a male opposer, Gay. opponent. Um, so she obviously, because she gave up her seat in the House of Representatives and then lost the election, um, she didn't have a job, but then she was appointed by President Carter uh, for two years as the Assistant Secretary of State for Ocean and International Environmental and Scientific Affairs. And then she spent another three years as the first female president of Americans for Democratic Action before she moved back to Hawaii in 1980. Um, and then, like, almost immediately after she moved back to Hawaii, she got wind that uh, Honolulu County was, had controversial plans to construct a power plant without any public input. And so she became a pro bono attorney for the Waipahu community group opposing the project. Mm. Uh, with her legal support, the group successfully blocked construction of the plant. And um, although she initially planned to retire from politics, uh, the campaign where she was the the pro bono attorney drummed up support for her to return to politics. And in 1982, <laughs> she, she was elected to the Honolulu City Council. So it's interesting. Like she went back to like small time politics. Yep. For a second. Well, in 82, I mean, she was how old was she? I, we probably don't know. But that's she's quite a bit older. She was I born in imagine. 1927. Yeah. OK. So she's like at that point where. I mean, she's you know. not a young woman anymore um, in 82. Um, but then in 1988, uh, she ran for mayor of Honolulu, uh, didn't pan out. Uh, but then hmm. she returned to Congress in 1990. Whoa. Uh -huh, to serve out Representative Daniel Akaka's seat when he was appointed to fill the Senate vacancy following the death of Spark Matsunaga. Oh, wow. So it's so funny. <laughs> so Spark Matsunaga died, and then a representative filled in for him, and then she went back to be the representative filling in for the... <laughs> Amazing. Oh, my God. Uh, she campaigned on the slogan, The Experience of a Lifetime, and she shot down sexist criticism that she was past her prime, and she won both the special and regular elections to get the seat. Ha-ha. Take that. Uh-huh. Uh um, she remained in Congress as a strong voice for Hawaii and the nation uh, and continued to fight for gender and racial equality, the protection of social welfare programs and government oversight. Quote, I've been away from the Congress for about 14 years, and I'm astonished to find that in the first month of my return here, we are still debating the question of what equality really means in this country. <laughs> she was like, get on with it. <laughs> She's like, I worked hard on this before, like decades ago. Come on. Like, um, come on. We're past this. When President George H.W. Bush vetoed the Civil Rights Act in 1990. She, oh, good move. Yeah. Mm, she harshly criticized him, saying he walked back on his campaign promises. She called on voters to judge him by this vote, which was, quote, an affront to all of us, men and women in the workplace. Uh, da, da, da. So she continued to serve in, in Congress um, for the rest of her life. 
uh, on August 30th, 2002, she was hospitalized in Honolulu Straub Clinic um, due to complications from chickenpox. Uh-huh. Oh, what? Yeah. Oh, God. Her condition steadily worsened. And on September 28th, so that's nearly a month after she was hospitalized, she died of viral pneumonia um, at the age of oh. 74. Wow. Um, both Hawaii and the nation mourned her death. Interestingly, because she died while George W. Bush was president, right? Oh, Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld that asshole, um, ordered all flags at military institutions lowered to half staff in honor of her contributions toward the equal rights of Americans. Damn. Mm-hmm. Okay. She received a national memorial and was honored with a state funeral in the Hawaii State Capitol Rotunda, attended by leaders and members of Congress. Um, she's buried at the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific. In, in 2007, Central Oahu Regional Park uh, was renamed Patsy T. Mink Central Oahu Regional Park in her honor. Um, her death occurred one week before the 2002 primary election, so it was uh, too late for her name to be removed from the general election ballot. So her name was still oh. on the ballot, even though she was dead. Um, but she was posthumously reelected to Congress by a landslide. So even though she was oh, dead, no. people were like, yes, 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 yes. We love you, Patsy. Oh, man. I mean, that's both beautiful and also like, but what did what did they do <laughs> when she couldn't? Her, you her, know. her vacant seat was filled by Ed Case after a special okay. election on January 4th, 2003. Oh, so <clears throat> in 2002, uh, Title IX was renamed the Patsy Mink Equal Opportunity and Education Act by President George Bush. Um, so Whoa, they read it because okay. she wrote it and he wanted yeah. to make sure her name was on it. Um, she was inducted yeah. into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 2003. And okay. in 2014, President Barack Obama posthumously awarded her. She was his former congresswoman. Oh. The Presidential Medal of Freedom, oh. which is, of oh, course, God. the nation's highest civilian honor. Oh, God. <laughs> um. Despite facing constant criticism and outright discrimination because of her identity as a Japanese-American woman, Patsy Mink never hesitated to speak her mind and stand up for what's right, even if it meant stepping on toes. Uh, excuse me. Quote, it's easy enough to vote right and be consistently with the majority, she famously said, but it's more often important to be ahead of the majority, and this means being willing to cut the first furrow in the ground and stand alone for a while if necessary. Ugh. Ooh, that just gave me chills. Mm-hmm. Um, Senator Maisie Hirono uh, recalled how Mink encouraged her as a young politician, because Maisie, isn't she Hawaii representative? Or, no, Hawaii senator? I'm a, hold on. I'm going to Google that. Da-da-da-da. <laughs> okay. I think she is. Yeah, she's senator for Hawaii. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm glad I was right on that. Uh, Me too. Because so obviously, I did not know. obviously, um, Patsy encouraged her as a young politician. And when uh, Maisie was first elected to the House of Representatives, um, she cast her first vote for Nancy Pelosi to be Speaker of the House. Hirono dedicated her vote to Patsy Mink, an announcement mm-hmm. that caused Pelosi to turn around in her chair and smile because Mink had told Nancy Pelosi that she would one day become Speaker. And Pelosi did. The first woman to lead the U.S. House of Representatives. Oh, God, I'm going to (laughs) cry. 
Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. Patsy Mink may have been the first of many things, but thanks to her leadership, she wouldn't be the last. Women have a tremendous responsibility to help shape the future of America, to help decide policies that will affect the course of our history, she said. Damn. She was a Ugh. badass. Like, she did so much for women think, in this country. Yeah, that's, I did not know. I did not realize that, like, her contribution was so major. I mean, so major. Without mm-hmm. Title IX, you, would you and I have been, you know, just in school as la-la-la as we were? Who knows? You know, like. I mean, we both got I, liberal arts degrees, so maybe, but. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that's true. But the fact that, like, her dream was to become a doctor mm-hmm. and that was not available to her for reasons beyond her control outside her control mm-hmm. yeah and reasons like like limitations that people had impressed upon her and people of her background and gender and so she and decided that she was going to make it within her control yeah and change it so that other women could have it better than her that's I mean that's really so fucking amazing that she was just like well I can't I'm not going to fulfill my fucking dream the dream I've had as since I was a kid. I can't do that. So I'm going to pivot and I'm going to do all of these other things that make sure other women get the chance to do that forever. Yeah. Or as long as Title IX is around. I mean, God, you know, who fucking knows? But like that's <laughs> it's been in place uh, for, for almost half a century yeah. at this. Yeah. Half a century at this point. So, uh, you know. I think they're, they would have a bear of a time trying to get rid of it for whatever reason if anyone ever decided they wanted to do that. I just think that's, I think that's amazing that she, she, her dream was dashed and so she said, I'll make a new dream and I'll make sure other people get to have their dream. Mm-hmm. And she did. Mm-hmm. And that's, her daughter is ugh. on Twitter. <laughs> her daughter she's a like ah! a feminist she's a teacher and an author she's at like university of california in san diego or something like she's she seems awesome too like feminist is in her obviously in, mm. in her like bio on twitter so we should follow her <laughs> oh oh yeah yeah will you send me mm-hmm. information for that uh, uh, yeah, uh. I, I think like when your mom is somebody who basically was just like, I'm going to fight tirelessly for the rest of my life to yeah. make sure that women get what they deserve to have. So she, I can't she imagine. is at Wendy Mink on Twitter. Perfect. No weird spellings, just W-E-N-D-Y-M-I-N-K. Wendy Mink. Wendy Mink. P- perfect. Mm-hmm. What a name. That's a great name. Well, her name's Gwendolyn Mink, but she goes by Wendy. Wendy. <laughs> I mean, Gwendolyn is great, too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But anyway. And she's oh. also, like, chair for the Patsy Mink Education Foundation for low women, low-income women and children. I love women. <laughs> Just, <laughs> God damn it. There are so many amazing women in this world. I tell you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Do you want some on this day that you may know some of them? Because you were prepping May 1st. Oh, I was prepping the wrong day. I do. It wasn't fact, the wrong day. It was the right day, but we took a week off. So you were looking at your calendar and your calendar said, Hannah, this is your day. That's true. That's true. But um, so you're yeah, right. There was me. There was a lot. 
know. I know. When I started looking at my day, I was like, oh, man, there's like nothing on this day. But um, May 1st was very eventful. Uh, yeah. So May 1st, 1866. We're starting as late as 1866 because that's how much. Um, Do it. Uh, was the beginning of the Memphis race riots. Um, oh. re- reports of the atrocities there influenced passage of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which guaranteed citizenship to all people born in the country. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, May 1st, 1884, proclamation of the demand for an eight-hour workday in the U.S. Hell yeah. I mean, it was kind of an arbitrary number, right? But yeah. still and, better than what it was. And we're like reaching a point again where, because obviously my work week is 60 hours. And uh, so. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> May 1st, 1930, the dwarf planet Pluto is officially named, which is important <laughs> to people in my mom's life and my mom, because she works for um, the space scientists who sent the spacecraft that explored Pluto. And we have all those pretty pictures of Pluto because of that. And Ultima Thule now, which is the same spacecraft years later. Mm. And I was there for that event, too. Pluto was named by a girl, wasn't it? No. What? Was it? I think 11-year-old Venetia somebody I only remember because I was doing the research for this day. Venetia somebody. uh, Oh, named it. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, no, you're so, oh, wow. Uh, Pluto, I was thinking it was okay. It was discovered by Clyde Tombaugh. So that's mm. what I was thinking of. Um, yeah, Pluto, yeah. It says Pluto got its name from 11-year-old Venetia Burney of Oxford, who suggested to her grandfather that the new world get its name from the Roman god of the underworld. Aha! You're right, you're right, you're right. It's um, only because I looked it up, I promise you. It has nothing <laughs> to do with my intellect. Um, uh, da, 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 May 1st, 1931, Empire State Building is dedicated in New York City. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. Wow. Ni- 1956, the polio vaccine developed by Jonas Salk is made available to the public. Vaccinate your children, everybody. Vaccinate your kids. God, I know we have a measles outbreak going on in Brooklyn right now. And <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's like it's interesting how like the anti-intellectual, anti-science movement is not at either party it's not specific to either political party it's like no science is important everybody fucking calm down vaccinate your goddamn children well i was vaccinated for measles so (laughs) i think i'm good um back in 1978 in uh, another um facet of uh asian american pacific islander heritage uh japan's naomi uemura Traveling by dog sled becomes the first person to reach the North Pole solo. Um, so he was the first person to get there alone. Uh, obviously, That's he was incredible. with dogs, so but they don't count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a Japanese oh, guy. Wow. Yeah. And that's a rough journey, right? I mean, I would think. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn. Um, 1999, the body of British climber George Mallory is found on Mount Everest 75 years after his disappearance in 1924. Whoa. Creepy. Um, Also, May 1st, 1999. This is a dumb one, but I love it. Um, SpongeBob SquarePants premieres on Nickelodeon. (laughs) You know, SpongeBob SquarePants became much more culturally important than I think we ever thought it was going to be. So, And it was like the beginning of super weird kids shows. Like, because like all kids shows are super weird nowadays. That's very that's very true. I mean, I will say I think Ren and Stimpy probably preceded it. Oh no, uh, you're right. That's totally true. 
but, but it, you're yeah you no, know totally it was a continuation but, of that but it's yeah. like we were the kids raised on those mm-hmm. and now we're making weird <laughs> like if you've ever watched have you watched the um, gumball i don't even know the full name of the show i'll send no. you clips from it it is ridiculously weird and clearly <laughs> written by people who oh, no. could be our friends oh um, no so anyway oh man um, so funny. May 1st, 2009, same-sex marriage is legalized in Sweden. Oh, wow. Which seems later than I would have expected from Sweden. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Birthdays. Uh, May 1st, 1852, Calamity Jane, American oh! Frontiers woman. Wow. Wait, she was... Oh. She was not a sharpshooter for, like, like shows. I don't think right? so. She was, was she? A, she was a professional scout. Okay. Wow. Um, 1939, Wilhelmina Cooper, who was a Dutch model who founded Wilhelmina Models, which is a huge agency. Even yes, it that, is. Still around in New York City. Um, yep. She founded it. Um, wow. Random, 1969, happy birthday, Wes Anderson. <laughs> oh, American director, producer, and screenwriter. Um, yeah, with a very specific visual style. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Deaths. Uh, 1118, May 1st, Matilda of Scotland died. She was wife of Henry I and frequently would be regent when her husband would go away on, uh, like, diplomatic missions or war shit. She would would rule in his stead. Um, Amazing how women end up doing that. mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Very depressing one, but worthwhile. Uh, 1945, May 1st, Joseph and Magda Goebbels. Uh, notorious Nazis. Um, they were chan- uh, Joseph Goebbels was Chancellor of Germany uh, and uh. was like Hitler's right hand man. Basically, um, they died via suicide with cyanide pills, and they also murdered all of their children by forcing them to eat cyanide pills on Ooh. May first. So that's fun. So, wow. but I'm really glad they're dead. Maybe not their kids, but I'm really glad they're dead. Um, yeah, yeah, that's probably for the best. And lastly, uh, May 1st, uh, 2003, Miss Elizabeth, who was an American wrestler. She died, but she was born in 1960. So she was 43 or 42 when she died. Way too young. Oh, wow. Which I think is common among professional wrestlers. I was going to say, that kind of sport, I feel you must end up, you put your body through so much. Yeah. Not just in fighting, but like nutritionally and. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if you watched, uh, John Oliver did a great bit on wrestlers they're um they're they're not really unionized or anything so they have to overwork themselves basically and uh are paid shit and don't get health care and all this stuff it's a horrible because it's all uh it's like been monopolized by the wwe who's owned by a guy who doesn't give a shit about his wrestlers so that's astounding i had no idea Mm mm-hmm that's so upsetting. Watch that bit that John Oliver did. It's on YouTube, I'm sure. Oh. I'll, I'll send it to you. It's really depressing. Oh, John now. Oliver. Yeah. Um, I know. I love watching John Oliver, but sometimes I'm just like, I know that you're going to give me so much real talk that I can't yeah. handle it right, right now. Right. So, yeah. But send that to me. Yeah, I will. Um, okay. Do you have something you're excited about this week? Um, shoot. There, I mean, like... I'm excited I finally got to see Avengers Endgame, but I'm also sad about it. Yeah. Because it's, it's very it's, bittersweet. It's so bittersweet. We saw it, so I told you this already, but I saw it at 6:30 a.m. on Sunday, <laughs> and it really wasn't until I got home 
that night that I was like, oh, this is really sad. Mm -hmm. Like, I've been going to see these movies since 2008. Yeah. it's, It's really strange when you think about it that way. And you've had all of these films with these with these actors being one thing for that long. So I don't know. It's the end of an era, and it's been on my mind a lot. And you know what's funny is I remember um, news articles, like, coming out, like, entertainment articles, because Kenneth Branagh was, quote-unquote, taking a risk by casting unknowns in Thor. So Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston were unknown. They were like, he should have cast celebrities, and now they've both become, like, A-listers in their own right. You know what I mean? Like, Chris Hemsworth especially, like, fuck. He, like, I I saw the new MIB trailer. I'm so excited for that freaking movie. That movie looks like everything I dream of. (laughs) The point where he's like, we're the men in black. We're the men and women in black, and then gives the thumbs up, and she gives the thumbs up back, like, not the right time, guy, but I appreciate uh... your spirit. (laughs) Also, we got pins yeah (laughs) i'm so excited because they look so good they look fucking amazing and we're putting them in the mail to our patrons our first 10 patrons uh who signed up with us tomorrow morning so that's happening look out for all of your pins um yeah, they look so so good. And we're gonna ma- uh, so we're gonna good. be selling them on our website. They are gonna be on our website. If you have any interest in having a pin that proclaims you to be a good witch or a bad bitch or both, or both, I'm gonna have both on could. my backpack. Oh uh, fuck yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. So am I. So am I. And so is Ben. And so is Ben. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited about that. I keep hearing from like random people that they. Love the podcast, and that makes me excited. Like, I went into our coffee shop the other day, and our barista, completely unprompted, uh, told me how she'd been listening to the show and how much she liked it. So, hello to you. If you if you are listening to this and uh, you hear us talking about you. Oh, my God. That's um, so cool. Yeah. So, it's just really nice. We've yeah. got some new reviews. Makes me happy. Which, yeah. speaking of which, do you want to... So speaking of our brand spanking new pins, yes, ma'am, we have decided to enter the next 10 people to leave us a review in a giveaway for a set of pins. Yeah. A little contest. So if you are one of the next 10 people to leave us a review on iTunes, uh, we'll enter you and draw names whenever we hit, randomly, whenever we hit that, um, that 10th new review boom do you like that i do 10 people yeah 10 reviews yeah all right that's it that's what it's gonna be 10 reviews next 10 reviews get entered into a giveaway for pins so boom that's that rate review subscribe yeah do that contact us if you feel like it uh we're on all sorts of social media platforms all of the information for that is in our outros um also, we're on Patreon, and we are on Ko-Fi, so if you're excited about what we're doing, you can give us a coffee or become a patron. Help us keep these mics going, man. Yeah, man. And uh, until the next time, peace out, witches. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening.
listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty and much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there, as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.